of our space. We are an awesome supporter of the 5th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival, hosting an incredible offside show. Wednesday, March 4th, 9 to 11 p.m. with LGBTQ plus and allied comics. So come out to 3158 Mission Street at Cesar Chavez, San Francisco. It's open every day at 2 p.m. with an incredible back patio. El Rio is your dive. Hi, guys. <laughs> it's been a minute uh, since I've been here at the station, and I was lucky enough to run into Pam Benjamin, uh, who is a wonderful human being. Uh, back in the day, if you've been listening to Mutiny for a few years, um, you know that we had an actual mutiny happen uh, back in, gosh, it must have been 2010, 2011. Um, that's when uh, Crystal was doing the show with me or started doing the show with me around that time and yeah it was just a formidable uh time in in history it was like right before uh, the tech situation kind of started blossoming again and um yeah i thought wow it was a nice you know it was an experiment kind of like democracy like you think it's gonna stick around and maybe it won't stick around and that's kind of what mutiny has been um as a collective uh podcast slash radio slash art gallery slash performance space it's pretty much an experiment in human nature and don't get me wrong it's it's been interesting here but I've been here, um, it's been almost my 10 year anniversary here, so congratulations to me. Um, I, was <laughs> um, I might try to do an anniversary show and figure out a way to kind of raise some money for the station. So if you guys have any ideas, um, you can always uh, send me an email, uh, aishaspearman at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook, first and last name, or uh, you can follow Sounds from the Street and send me a message through there. Always open to ideas. Um, but yeah, it's been kind of an interesting couple weeks for me. Um, the last time I was here, some of my coworkers were here um, helping me kind of figure out what, what I was going to do for my resume business, which is why I haven't been here. Um, or part of the reason why I haven't been here is uh, I was so busy the month of January. Everyone's uh, trying to figure out what they're going to do in 2020 with their career. And now that it's February, it's kind of at a slower pace, uh, but it's something that I tapped into at the end of 2019. It's only been about three months um, that I've been using LinkedIn Premium. I'm not talking about radio stuff right now, but um, just to let you know uh, what I've been up to uh, these past few months. Um, yeah, so I went from being about $10,000 in debt to I'm pretty much almost paid off in a span of three months. So that's pretty amazing. Um, so my life has made some drastic changes in that arena. Um, also, my mom ended up moving from California to Arizona at the end of the year. So that was, you know, a couple weeks in transition right there. And just kind of getting into the groove and figuring out what I'm going to be doing this year. Um, um, I was going to 
eventually move into a new place here in the city. Um, haven't quite figured out how to do that because there are some shady people on Craigslist. Um, you know, sometimes I'm shady on Craigslist. Not really, but <laughs> you never know what you're going to find on there. So people, you know, advertise certain apartments and you just have to be careful. They might try and scam you. So just FYI, um, I am on the lookout for a new apartment, uh, possibly uh, 400 and 50 square feet or bigger in a certain price range and I'm just trying not to put a lot of pressure on myself I'm like just build your savings uh, see what's out there go look at a few places and when the timing's right I'm gonna find the right place so wish me luck on that and what else is coming up so a lot of you know politics has happened in the past few weeks as well um if you're based in california just so you know um there's going to be a primary election in about four weeks uh on march 3rd 2020 super tuesday california is a part of that uh across the country there are going to be many other states that are voting and if you happen to be in Arizona, uh, you'll have the ability to vote on March 17th um, from some research I did from my mom. And if you want to vote early in person or by mail, you have from now till March 3rd to do so. I'm very old fashioned when it comes to voting. I've never done it remotely. I mean, I've never done it by mail. So I kind of feel like I should show up because I'm kind of curious like how it's gonna go like I think it's so not democratic to vote by mail if that makes sense and the fact that I've been talking about it on and off um pretty much around the time I figured Elizabeth Warren was going to be running for president. You might remember I did an organizing event for her. Uh, this was almost a year ago, back in April. And ever since then, it's been a little bit hard to, to stay involved because, you know, things come up in your personal life. However, um, I have stayed involved to the tune of, you know, posting uh, certain things on uh, Instagram, for instance. I'm not as active on f Facebook as I used to be. And, you know, just kind of putting the word out there, trying to you know, give everyone a chance to, to speak. But as you know, um, I'm probably leaning more towards a progressive candidate. Uh, so my first choice is Elizabeth Warren. Uh, my second choice is Bernie Sanders. And then my third choice is Andrew Yang. Believe it or not, it used to be Pete Buttigieg um, when he first came out about a year ago. He was kind of the shiny new thing. So I thought, oh, that's kind of refreshing. But as I learned a little bit more about his policies, um, maybe for the middle of the country, they're more likely to kind of gravitate toward him. Uh, but I think I'm definitely more of a progressive and um, some of the moderate candidates wouldn't be at the top of my list and don't really gel with a lot of things that are happening here in California. There are some drastic changes that have taken place um, the past couple of years that I think a progressive candidate would be the best person to address those changes, um, whether it be economic, housing, health care, uh, women's rights, you name it. Uh, California is just, um, you know, a more progressive area, which is probably why I still live here, even though it's very expensive to live here. But, 
you know, it, it always helps when you have two jobs. Um, I've always had more than two jobs. So I don't know how I'm even awake right now talking to you guys. But I did miss, you know, doing the podcast. And it was just great to run into Pam Benjamin. And long story short, um, she's been here um, a little bit longer than I have at Mutiny. And if it wasn't for her, um, I don't know if Mutiny would still be around, to be, to be honest. I think the fact that it's just people from the neighborhood, people from the San Francisco community making it happen, uh, different programming, whether it be food, comedy, theater, uh, you know, alternative music, which my show has always uh, showcased over the past decade. I think it's really important. Um, I, I think it was Andrew Yang that was talking about there's, there's not enough money in advertising, so a lot of local newspapers newspapers um, are no longer in existence because of that so he was actually saying like hey we need to fund like local you know journalism so I'm like I wonder if he'll he'll have a program for that (laughs) meaning you know he's trying to do the thousand dollars a month so that would definitely help mutiny radio I'm not gonna lie to you so there's just a lot of things to pay attention to right now with, you know, the election. It's a new year. Um, if you're interested in um, getting some advice on your career, let me know. Uh, you can get in touch through, through Facebook. Um, I'm getting into career coaching, which is kind of interesting. It's it's a little bit more involved than just doing a resume or a cover letter. But um, yeah, I'll get back to you when I when I figure things out. Again, it's only been a whirlwind three month trial period, so uh, so far so good. And um, another thing that I'm going to be doing uh, next month, I scheduled it way. Excuse me, I scheduled it way in advance in the middle of March because I thought, oh my god, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. It is an intensive three-day weekend course for this program called the Landmark Forum, which a lot of businesses, um, businesses who do really well, uh, like Panda Express, Lululemon, etc., pay for their employees to participate in this program. So apparently you go into it kind of being skeptical or not really knowing what to expect, and then you come out of it. Um, just a better version of yourself. So I thought, well, this could be helpful for a personal, but also for, you know, the area that I'm diving into, which is career coaching. And people are going to be asking for my ex- expertise based on previous experience in certain areas of of, of career and, and where you might end up uh, you know, on your next, uh, career path. So I thought, okay, I'm going to sign up for this program. So I will definitely let you guys know, but in case you're interested, um, there are three upcoming forums in the San Francisco area. Uh, the, the next one is the weekend of February 14th. Uh, the other one is March 13th and again, April 17th. So just keep in mind, it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, it's pretty much all day long. I forgot how many hours it is. I think it's like 10 hours or something like that. Something intense like that. That's the only thing that, that scares me is the longevity. But then again, if I'm, 
in the thick of things like I am right now because I haven't done the show in a while. I'm like, I can talk for hours. I can do this all night. Um, I'm actually barely awake right now. <laughs> I'm struggling, guys. I'm struggling. But Pam gave me a piece of chocolate, so that's going to keep me going. That's going to keep me going. So, yeah. So I'm excited about this, you know, Landmark Forum uh, coaching, personal coaching program. And um, there's also kind of a, gr a graduation if you complete uh, the program. It's going to be the evening of March 17th in case <laughs> you guys happen to be in the Bay Area and you want to attend. Um, so that'll be interesting. We'll see how that goes. So I just wanted to make sure I covered everything that's been going on at the beginning of the show. Um, I did do a few interviews uh, towards the end, the second half of last year that I didn't get to air. Um, so some of those will be coming up in the next few weeks. Um, the monochrome set, that's going to be coming up. They're actually going to be coming to San Francisco, I think, at some point this year. I'm not sure. I think they announced the East Coast dates, but not the West Coast. So I, <laughs> it's only been a year, but um, I'm going going to air that interview in a couple weeks. And I also interviewed Shannon and the Clams. Um, they're from Oakland and they played a few shows um, over the last few months. Um, they opened for the Black Keys and then they opened for, um, who was the other one? I can't remember, some other big name. Uh, I think it was at Chase Center or um, one of those Oracle, something crazy like that. So good for them. And they played at Burger Boogaloo pretty consistently over the past few years. And I thought, that's weird that I haven't interviewed them. So, um, uh, oh, Greta Van Fleet, that was who they opened for. So they were, you know, kind of making a, making a statement there. So props to them, local Bay Area talent, kind of putting themselves on the map. But they have been around for a while, so it's definitely justified. And yeah, I'm just um, excited to air the interview a little bit later tonight with ESG. Um, I met up with an old coworker, uh, Alex. Alejandro, uh, thanks for, um, you know, he, I hadn't seen him in years. You guys, I used to work at, uh, landmark theaters, um, here in San Francisco. Um, <laughs> I feel like Embarcadero is the only landmark left in the city. Um, don't quote me on that. There might be one in, um, in the Richmond district that's still open. I think it's a Balboa or one of those, but anyways, there used to be a plethora of landmark theaters in California, but over the past few years, as you guys already know, it's just people are using streaming services. I've actually been going to theaters um, more often. Um, I've been going to see, like, I went to see The Joker a few weeks ago. Um, I went to see the Terminator film. I don't know. I just thought, wow, I, I never really had a chance to go see movies. Um, it's just something that... Oh God! It's just when you're when you're working all the time, it's hard to. And movies are so freaking long, you guys. The movies are two to three hours these days, and sometimes I'm like, I don't have a spare two to three hours. I'm either working in the office, nine to you know four ish, and then I have you know the resume writing, or I have my my exercise that I have to do, and then by that time, it's like the day's already over. And don't even get me started on all the, you know, s stuff that you have to take care of. There's always 
believe you me, there's always stuff to do. So it's just hard to make time for everything. But anyways, um, I went to see little women a few weeks ago. If you haven't seen that definitely recommended, um, little women is the shit. And so is Louisa May Alcock. Cause if you think about it back then, there weren't really a lot of little women able to tell their stories. And now, um, even though I don't, necessarily prefer Facebook or Instagram, but if you think about it, if you really think about it, it's everyone's supposedly sharing their story and also sharing fake news stories. But (laughs) I guess if you, if you're able to make it personable about stuff that's actually happening to you and not necessarily somebody else telling you what to do, then I'm all for it. So it's a little bit, uh, a little bit of an inspiration here at uh, Mutiny Radio and uh, different uh, DJs here at um, at the station, and definitely for me. So definitely go see that. And then I'm going to go see uh, Harley Quinn <laughs> on uh, President's Day. So I'll let you guys know how that how that is. I think there's just there's a lot more films coming out. Um, uh, one of my close friends was like, have you seen bombshell? And I'm like, no, should I? And then I saw the preview for it about, uh, some of the female, uh, anchors at, uh, Fox news and that whole debacle, how that, how that all came down. So I just know that I've seen the Fox headquarters in New York city and we talked about some things, uh, that we shouldn't talk about on air. <laughs> but we had some very negative feelings towards uh, the Fox News headquarters um, uh, in uh, New York City, but we, we didn't end up doing anything. But we did uh, we did uh, flip off Trump Tower um, on Fifth Avenue, so that felt pretty liberating. But that was, you know, that was months before he got elected. So at that point, it was pretty much just naivete and ignorance about the whole situation. So now I feel <sighs> slightly less ignorant. <laughs> But still, you know, I still feel like there's a lot to learn. So I've been watching all of the debates and watching all of the town halls and, um, you know, f- following some of the activity online. And it's it's very exhausting. I can see why most people would not want to do it. I just think that it's really important to be informed and just take it from their own from their own perspective instead of, you know how they, I think most people across the country are probably not only being exposed online, but also through news TV ads. I guess you could say TV ads. So I'm actually not paying attention to the TV ads, but I do pay attention to all the talking heads and what, what they have to say. And depending on what station it is, most of the time I agree with them. But then again, I, I still feel like people should, you know, watch the debates and, and really um, hear what the candidates stand for, what their platforms are. Um, you know, I, I hope that Andrew Yang is able to to stay in the race because he's he really got me thinking the past you know s- six months or um, longer that I've been following him he's really got me thinking about the job market and how it's affected how it will be affecting me um, just from personal experience I've been in customer you know success and before that customer service 
um, for most of my working career, um, you know, since the early 2000s and just how, you know, my job might be obsolete in a year or a couple years just because of AI and, um, they can pretty much call in and, um, you know, be routed to an automated message or, you know, everything that I send to customers is pretty much already available. It's like, well, they're not going to need me. (laughs) So, um, hence me, you know, and different changes happening at companies I've worked at. So I've always been good about kind of keeping my options open and it's hard to really stay in one career field. But I think for now, at least till, you know, November till, till the end of this year, we'll see how it goes with resumes. Um, apparently there's 225,000 jobs, uh, that was part of the the jobs report. So I'm paying attention to that as well, obviously, because that's going to determine, you know, if people, if there are jobs available, um, there's going to be a lot of people, you know, trying to update their resume or thinking about making a change, that sort of thing. So keep your fingers crossed guys. Cause I'd love to do that. I would love the thing about doing the resume writing. I swear I'm going to talk about music soon. Just uh, give me a few more minutes. Um, I swear that, um, if I can continue to do, you know, resumes, cover letters, you know, LinkedIn updates, um, and then, you know, transition occasionally into career coaching and, and that sort of thing, that could be a great, um, you know, segue for me, um, in terms of my career. Cause I feel like being my own boss is, is just s- such an ideal thing to be. And if you were to ask me five years ago or even 10 years ago, I would have never had the balls to say, God, I, gosh, I would love to do that. I, even if I had no clue how to do it, I still have no clue how to do it, but I feel like I've been pretty successful the past couple months, but you know, it might, because it's February, it's not January anymore. So there might be a downturn. So, you know, I just have to give it another three months, see how it goes. But anyways, I'm kind of boring you guys, I'm sure. So today, um, I thought, you know, I haven't done the show in a while. And unfortunately, um, one of my musical heroes, uh, Andy Gill, one of the founding members of the band Gang of Four, uh, formed in Leeds, uh, United Kingdom in England, uh, back in uh, the mid 70s. Um, they were pretty much part of the the punk movement. Um, you know, one of the one of the first, um, I would say, um, especially in their area, uh, from Leeds in particular, uh, some of the bands that I'm familiar with were Gang of Four and, uh, Delta Five. Um, and their style compared to, uh, some of the bands from even Manchester, um, like Buzzcocks or New Order, Joy Division, and then London was of course the Clash and... Sex Pistols, The Damned, the sound, I want to say, from Leeds, and also just the the attitude was so, uh, prog- I want to say, progressive. I'm not saying that the Sex Pistols were not progressive, but Delta Five, for instance, had, you know, female members in the group, and then Gang of Four eventually had um, 
you know, female members in the group. So it's so interesting how, how it all came about. And, um, eventually gang of four influenced bands like rage against the machine. And, um, there was even an Instagram photo, uh, from last year when I interviewed Andy before their show here in San Francisco. And it's just, I'm just so grateful that certain bands that I've talked to over the years, not only do I get to interview them once, but I get to talk to them more than once. And you know, just helping pretty much the reason why I've been doing this show this long is I feel like even if I don't feel like showing up, even if I don't feel like doing a fucking radio show, I'm going to show up because this band that I really fucking support and want people to pay attention to is, you know, interested in talking to me. So (laughs) there must be something, something's going right here. Something's something redeemable. So yeah, doing the interview with him last year was kind of interesting because I think both of us were kind of going through something like I lost my voice and, and he was sick around that time as well. So, um, but Hey, you know, the interview still happened and um, a couple of years before that, um, I had the pleasure of, uh, you know, collaborating uh, with another guest um, that's been on the show um, a few times. Uh, we were we were able to go on the tour bus um, outside um, the new parish in Oakland. That was about almost three, four years ago. And that was pretty cool because I'd never got to do that before. Um, that was a different experience and the new parish is such a intimate, you know, venue in general. Um, and that was a great show because, um, my cohort and I, we were in the first row and if you've ever seen gang of four, there's just so much energy and I, you know, any gang of four show that I've been to over the years, it's never been dull. (laughs) It's never been a bad moment. Let me just say that. And I'm trying to remember, I'm just trying to fill the time today with memories. And I was going to read some, some articles that I saw online about the impact that Andy Gill and Gang of Four had, you know, on music. Um, I would say even on politics, um, you know, cause they were around, um, when, uh, politics were very volatile, even back then, um, you know, in the, in the 1980s, there was Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. And if you guys have ever, if you live back, if you were alive back then, <laughs> And if you were even, you know, reading things, finding out in your history books like I did, you're like, wow, that really happened. (laughs) And I would say even now we're kind of dealing with some of the after effects of those attitudes, right? With the the whole conservative, um, you know, populism that's, that's going on right now. So sometimes when I listen to, you know, Gang of Four, um, this other band from that same era, the pop group, if you've never heard of them, definitely recommend checking them out. They were, I don't know, there was something about their, their stream of conscious lyrics, um, and their abrasive, you know, in your face, um, you know, guitar riffs, the way that, that people were expressing themselves back then. Um, it's kind of sad to me because now it's like, you don't even hear that in music. Like the only thing that my generation has is American idiot. Okay. You guys. And that was when, uh, George W. Bush is president. So gang of four, 
pretty much carried that torch, if you will, up until you know a few weeks ago they were um they were touring in in Europe i believe uh, right before the holidays so they're the only, one of the only bands i can think of that were really you know continuing that way of thinking the only other band that i think would be in the same vein as them is probably rage against the machine who are actually going to be playing some shows I don't know what's going on. I thought they were playing some shows at the end of March, but um, I saw some announcements. I know I'm all over the place today. I apologize. Um, I saw some announcements where they were playing different festivals, but I was kind of hoping I I could try and catch them not at a festival because I've never actually seen Rage Against the Machine. I was too young. Um, I was a kid in the 90s. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> so I, I I caught on I literally caught on to these eras of music literally right at the end <laughs> but um yeah so anyways seeing Gang of Four live I was lucky enough as a teenager uh growing up in Los Angeles I was able to catch one of the reunion shows, I think it was at Morningwood, this band called Morningwood, I think they're from New York, opened for Gang of Four, and it was the original lineup. This was 2005, and they played, I think it was the Avalon Ballroom, pretty, I don't know, I can't even remember, it was so long ago, but I'm pretty sure it was the Avalon Ballroom uh, near Hollywood and Vine, and I had no idea what I was doing, but I was like, that would be cool. <laughs> um, and I'm trying, I can't even remember how much the ticket was. It must've been affordable for me to be able to get in there. But yeah, seeing the original lineup for Gang of Four is, is pretty amazing. Um, I know I have photos somewhere on my hard drive or on my, my CDR. Um, if I find those, I know I have them in my photo album. Um, I will definitely post those, um, if at all possible on Facebook. Um, cause I'm thinking there's been some lucky people out there who I've seen them over the years. And it's just a great way to share the memories, um, you know, keep the music alive. Um, that's what I plan on doing. So anyways, saw them in 2005. Then if, you know, a few years went by, I think they, they had, um, they released an additional album. I think it was the end of the 2000s, early, uh, 2010, some, something around there. And then they disbanded and then got back together, um, a few years ago. And that's how I was able to see them at the New Parish. I saw them at the Independent. That was a pretty good show. We were all the way towards the back for that one. So I think the New Parish was special because we were front row and just the energy was, you know, emulating into directly into us. Um, so if you didn't get to see them live, uh, there are, you know, plenty of videos online, but it's just not the same. I mean, I know people watch, um, you know, Facebook live, YouTube videos, all that jazz, but if you get to see a band in person, you should definitely do it because those memories will stick with you forever. So yeah, it's with a heavy heart, um, you know, the passing of Andy Gill, uh, from Gang of Four, one of the most important bands from, uh, the punk era that was literally still active, you know, up until a few weeks ago. It's just, 
it's it's heart-wrenching you know and um again the last show that um i was able to see um was with um some close friends of mine um i think it was actually their first time seeing them at the chapel here in san francisco and that was that was a great venue as well definitely you know on the the smaller side um there's still some great venues here in san francisco so it was you know very special um there were some interest. I think it was the same show, but there were some interesting bands that were opening for them. There was one called Kamikaze Palm Tree, I believe. <laughs> and I was like, this is why I go to shows because sometimes the opening bands are actually really good if you give them a chance and sometimes they're not. And sometimes you're like, I don't know why I came so fucking early for this shit. But most of the time they're, they're pretty good. So that was the one time we got there early and really enjoyed ourselves. Um, I actually had money at the time, so I bought some merch and that's the other thing. If you're lucky enough to go to some shows here in the Bay area, definitely, you know, support the bands. Um, you know, it's just, it's just hard. It's hard to do the podcast. It's hard to, um, pay the rent and you just got to put your money where your mouth is. So that's another thing. You know, why do I pay my dues at Mutiny Radio? Why do I pay my rent? Because um, I actually have some functional, you know, relationships with, you know, businesses here. I put my money into uh, small businesses. I very, very infrequently give money to places like Amazon. I do give money to Comcast, so I apologize for that. Some places I'm, you know, PG&E, for instance. If I didn't have to, then I wouldn't. But if you have the choice, just try and support people while you can. Just like you're going to vote on March 3rd if you're living here in California. If not, um, you can go online uh, to figure out uh, where you should be voting. Uh, Google makes it pretty easy. If you are in San Francisco, it's sfelections.org. And um, if you're lucky enough to live in a city where you're doing rank choice voting, I have to say it's better to have you know, more options than not. I think there were... When I voted back in June, I think there were six different options. So I don't know if that's going to be the case for the president, but I definitely have, you know, my top three in mind, which I was nice enough to share with you guys uh, for for president, um, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders and Andrew Yang. Um, I would consider, um, Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, I also would consider, uh, Amy Klobuchar. Um, she actually, she's actually doing pretty well, I guess. Um, one of the, from the debate last night, she's raised about $2 million. So good for her. Congrats. And, um, just, just supporting, I'm using it as an excuse to support women too. I mean, you don't have to support women just to support them, but I kind of feel the need to do so in this toxic environment that, that we're living in. And hopefully we'll come out of it with, with, with some, you know, with something positive. Um, and that's something that I really admire about Elizabeth Warren's campaign. Um, they're saying, well, why don't, why don't they go at each other? Why, why aren't they more abrasive? And, and, uh, you know, they're going to, I mean, there's another, you know, nine months to go people. So <laughs> stay
stay tuned for the for the pie fights and the the name calling and all that shit so um you want to stay tuned uh for more of that activity um but i have to say it was a pretty tame debate last night from what i could tell and they're very long <laughs> so i think maybe the next one that i watch maybe i'll i'll do it at you know, they have the watch parties or meet up at a bar and Pam's here and she's giving me more candy. So I'm definitely going to be eating it. (laughs) That's another reason to, you know, be involved in your community. You never know what opportunities might come along. So anyways, um, I hope you guys are paying attention to politics and, um, you can definitely go online and find out more about some of these candidates and stay informed. All right. So let's play some music and, um, let's go ahead and listen to, I was thinking we could listen to, uh, some of, you know, Gang of Four's early material. And then maybe I'll read an article or two, just in case you've, you haven't heard of them. If you've listened to my show before, how dare you not know who they are? Um, one of the most important bands from, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, uh, but stay tuned uh, for more music. Girl 
<laughs> Those are some of the, the oldies there, in case you were wondering. Uh, this is Sounds from the Street. I am your humble host, DJ Aisha. I've been out of commission for a couple weeks, but I am now back. <laughs> I'm trying to be like that voice at um, the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland. See you soon. <laughs> you know when you're I don't know if you guys have been to Disneyland but it's amazing especially when you're a kid and don't know any better it's just great and I hope I get to go back as an adult but um, this is somewhat of a tribute show to Andy Gill from Gang of Four unfortunately he just passed away um, as far as we know last week from he had a case of pneumonia it was reported to, to the New York Times which is so unfortunate because I was actually I had the pleasure of interviewing him twice uh, once in 2019 and uh, once in person in 2015 wow I know I must have tried to get in contact at some point, but those were the two chances I had, took advantage of that, and um, they're, they're such legends. Um, if you um, never got a chance to dive into them. Uh, so here's an article from a site called theguardian.com in the UK, and it's by Alexis Petridis. Hopefully he doesn't mind me covering or reading it. Uh, Andy Gill, Gang of Four's genius guitarist who burned a route of punk by mixing hard rock, punk, and funk with radical theory, the late musician unleashed a fresh and furious sound. Uh, Britain's late 70s provincial punk scenes were seldom places for the faint-hearted, but few were as starkly polarized as that in Leeds. At one extreme, the city had a large national front presence. Sound familiar? The national front were the... Pretty much the Nazi party in the UK, or close to it, from, from what I could gather. Leeds has the dubious distinction of the giving the world its first openly Nazi punk bands, the dentists, and the vents. At the other, there were the bands spawned by the city's university and the radical left-wing theory popular in its fine art department, the Mekons, Delta Five, and Gang of Four. The result was frequently chaos, terrible violence, as Gang of Four guitarist Andy Gill put it. There were pitched battles on the university campus and at the F Club, the city's main punk venue. It's tempting to say you could hear the tension in the way Gill played guitar. His biggest inspiration was Dr. Feelgood's Wilco Johnson, but he took Johnson's taut, jagged, aggressive rhythm guitar style and ran with it. There was a sharp funk influence too, but as the writer Simon Reynolds noted, the way Gil played guitar could make you flinch. There was something austere about it. Gil refused to use distortion or play solos unless you counted what he did on the extraordinary Love Like Anthrax from Gang of Four's debut EP, Damaged Goods, where he unleashed a howling, scourging torrent of feedback that opened the song, then seemed to crash in and out of it, completely at random. <clears throat> As I lose my voice, as with the song's off-beam rhythm track and its vocals, which open with a bout of coughing, <laughs> I can relate, and then split into two, the band's frontman, John King, singing about the crushing devastation of a failed romance. Mm. Gil speaking and the other speaker glumly detailing the minutiae of the song's recording process. The idea was to wrong-foot the listener. 
It worked. Damaged Goods was released in October 1978, the same month as the other great post-punk clarion call, Public Image Limited's Public Image. Both were wildly acclaimed. Here were suggested roots out of punk for anyone bored by its limitations, embodied by the sight of Sham 69, bellowing their way through Hurry Up Harry on top of the pops. Music that had punk's toughness, social awareness, and jolting ability to shock without any of its cliches. Gang of Four's influences largely predated punk, as well as Dr. Feelgood and funk. They were fans of the dark, simmering violence of the sensational Alex Harvey band and Freeze stripped back hard rock. But their 1979 debut album entertainment sounded completely fresh unshackled from the past dedicated to subverting standard rock formulae they somehow managed to come up with music that rocked from all the band for all the band wanted every instrument to have an equal role in their sound democratic music as they put it the urgent slashing angular interjections of gill's guitar couldn't help become a focal point, defining a style of playing that ended up being endlessly copied. In fact, entertainment was so good that, by comparison, its follow-up solid gold felt slightly anticlimactic. Although taken entirely on its own merits, it was a fantastic album. Telling in the U.S. where their debut had less immediate impact, it was garlanded with praise, a new category in pop. Gush one review which illuminates all others. Perhaps feeling that their career in the U.K. had stalled, they had signed at EMI, keen to reach as large an audience as possible, but walked out of an appearance on Top of the Pops after an argument with producers about the lyrics of the single at home he's a tourist scuppering its commercial chances and souring relations with their label they toured the u.s relentlessly they never achieved crossover commercial success there but their artistic impact was immediate michael stipe claimed them as vital inspiration for rem i forgot about that their effect on key u.s hardcore punk band minutemen was audible their ability to make music that was belligerent and intense without succumbing to macho stereotypes <laughs> underpinned a vast quantity of subsequent U.S. alternative rock. You could hear it in Fugazi and Big Black. Kurt Cobain was a huge fan. That's right. I think they were on his top 50. Meanwhile, the Red Hot Chili Peppers were such devotees that they approached Gil to produce their debut album, a job he accepted after Gang of Four themselves had run out of steam. You could detect the declining inspiration on 1982's Songs of the Free and 1983's Hard, the latter a fairly blatant bid for crossover success. It was not, as it turned out, a great meeting of minds. The band's members were dismayed when they snuck a look at the notebook Gil kept to discover that he'd baldly appraised them as shit. <laughs> Nevertheless, Gil's production career took off, interspersed with sporadic attempts to reform Gang of Four. 1991's Mall was a synth-heavy disaster. 1980, 1995's Shrink Wrapped an improvement, but the band's most successful reformation came in 2005. The reassembled original lineup didn't last long, but the subsequent album con content succeeded in recapturing a considerable amount of the early power by then uh, the most 
The post-punk revival had happened. Gang of Four's entertainment a set text for its participants. The pages of the music press were stuffed with bands imitating Andy Gill's guitar style, or at the very least working on its looming shadow from Franz Ferdinand to The Rapture to Block Party, some of them including the Future Heads called on his production services. Quite what Gill made of a sound intended as a detournment of rock music becoming a vastly pervasive rock music trope is unclear. He was a deeply improbable candidate for guitar hero status, but by then he'd presumably had a lot of time to get used to being acclaimed as exactly that. But he kept touring and recording with Gang of Four, eventually the sole original member. It was the only way he was ever really going to bow out, the band's announcement of his death read, with a Stratocaster around his neck, screaming with feedback and deafening the front row. Yes. So that was definitely, you know, a great article there in The Guardian. And there are some other articles on here. What's the other one? Give me one moment. Yeah, and if you're just tuning in, um, doing a tribute here to uh, Andy Gill of Gang of Four. He just passed away, um, unfortunately, uh, last week. And I'm just trying to keep the, you know, keep it going. So let's see. This is from rockandrollglobe.com. Hugo Burnham, uh, one of the original members of Gang of Four, the drummer, uh, remembers his friend Andy Gill in this exclusive chat. Um, People have a signature to their way of playing you can't get away from. Andy Gill told me about five years ago. Uh, Jagged and angular were two of the most common words employed when describing uh, Gill's attack. And an attack it was. Short, staccato bursts that disrupted and detonated as much as they drove the sound forward. Sharp shards of sound. In 2015, 35 years after seeing Gang of Four the first time, I was once again ensnared by Gill's guitar playing. During Not Great Men, I was at the Paradise Rock Club in Boston and scribbled something in my notebook that it looked and sounded like a downed electrical wire, sparking furiously along the pavement. And, and he said that would be a good thing. The surprise when we first emerged was great, but then to a certain extent, people get familiarized with that shock. I think that what I like is to reinvent my sound in different ways, Gil said after the show. He was still working it, and when I saw him last year with the current Gang of Four lineup at the Once Club in Somerville, Massachusetts, the magic was there. Gil, 64, died February 1st in a London hospital. A lifelong asthmatic, he'd gotten sick after an Asian tour late last year and checked in with the respiratory illness. He was moved to intensive care as that illness became pneumonia. Fuck. I wonder if it was the Wuhan thing. The first gang, uh, Gil, singer John King, bassist Dave Allen, and drummer Hugo Burnham formed in Leeds, England in 1976. Their debut album, 1979's Entertainment, was, and still is, regarded as one of post-punk's high-water marks. Uh, Canadian writer Jim Dooley published an exhaustive book on the band, especially looking at those early years in Red Set, A History of Gang of Four in 2017. 
Also check out Kevin Detmar's entertainment contribution to the 33 and a third series in 2014. The gang's music came out of punk, but they played a sort of heady mutant art funk influenced by the music of James Brown and the guitar work of Dr. Feelgood's Wilco Johnson and P-Funk's Parliament Funk's Eddie Hazel. The ferocity, both physical and intellectual, of early Gang of Four was something to behold. Some of the songs, I found that essence rare, damaged goods, etc., had deep hooks, but establishing and repeating a melodic hook wasn't what the group was aiming for. There's a lot more to music than the idea of a dominant line, King told me in 1980 after an ecstatic gig at the Channel Club in Boston. African music is not based on melody. Our music is based on grinding rhythms. We wanted to make something that was uniquely ours that no one had done before. What I like about music is dancing. I don't like singing along. Um, you guys are going to freak out. So I guess they played a show on May 22nd. 1980, um, at the American Indian Center, which was right in this neighborhood, on 225 Valencia Street here in San Francisco, and they played two shows. Um, This wasn't planned, but now I'm like really into this. They played two shows at 8 and 11 p.m. I think I've listened to this show. I think it's it was either on somewhere online, and uh, B People opened for them. And it would cost six dollars and fifty cents. Just just let that sink in. That's a great poster. Gang of Four had eleven players over the years, always anchored by Gill and mostly King. They recorded nine studio albums and were working on a tenth when Gill died. When Gang of Four reemerged for an album, What Happens Next and Tour in twenty fifteen, saw them on that tour, King was not with them. Gill and King, uh, friends going back to their days at Leeds University, had what they might politely call differences. By that point, the original Gang of Four hadn't existed for many years, aside from a one-off re-recording of early material in 2004 and a 2005 reunion tour. Bassist Thomas McNeese had been part of the gang for eight years. Drummer Johnny Finnegan was the new kid behind the kit, replacing uh, Mark Heaney, who'd been there since 2006. The guy at the mic was then 25-year-old John Geller Sterry. He met Gill when he went in the studio to work on a non-gang-related project. They clicked. King exited the group, and Gill wanted to carry on. When I started with the band, I was a fan, but I didn't realize the legacy was stepping the legacy I was stepping into, Sterry said, post show backstage. I try to keep the energy John King was doing, but I'm trying to do my own thing too. He admitted audiences greeted him with an attitude of what have you got? Hopefully we can win them over and toward the end of our shows it's been positive. In 2011, Gil and I were talking about content, their first disc in 16 years. This time around, said Gil, I think there was an unspoken feeling more than anything to chip away anything that was less than essential to discover what the essence is about. I think to a certain extent, it's not so much trying to sound like the first or second album. It's asking very similar questions and coming up with answers that are not that dissimilar to the answers we came back with a while ago. You have to do it in a way that's fresh, new, and exciting. And that might mean defying convention and the way of going about it. I think the thing is what I do on the guitar sounds like me. 
that's something important with this record some of the tunes i had melodies in my head and sequences and notes and things i thought were great but when i played them the way they sounded sonically it was ordinary it wasn't gonna work and i had to chip away at that i said to myself do it like your andy kill a penny dropped that's what i'll do I often wonder why the hell didn't we do this sooner? It's hard, it'd be hard to explain, but it does occur to me. It's enormously enjoyable going through the recording process, getting it done and out there. I think there's an appetite for what it is we do. People want something which is a bit more that questions some version of reality. I think there is a hunger for that. A couple of days after Gil's death, I spoke with Burnham, who has become a friend and lives not that far from me on Boston's North Shore. It's been a miserable couple of days, Burnham said, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or emails or whatever. I opened up in the New York Times today and there's the top obituary. I mean, he earned the attention. We earned the attention. He went on and did a number of very visible things with other people, too. I'm very sad he's gone. Uh, what, so then the, he asked, what are your best memories of band's early days? Maybe when you were beginning to taste success, but on the cusp of something more, my best memories are of engaging in an adventure with three people. Well, a little more than three at the beginning. There were all these other people around the Mekons who dragged along behind us like rambunctious kids at the mall, <laughs> but then like rambunctious kids at the mall, I'm thinking of stra stranger things for some reason. This is before Stranger Things. Um, they start to run ahead of you and get a record deal. Come back here. <laughs> but then we quite soon put a team together with our manager, Rob War, and my brother, Jolly, and Dave's brother, Phil. If we had any money, we split it equally. We made delightful noise. We enjoyed a few drinks. We got into fights with other people. Yeah. Running battles in the street, whether it was police or National Front or whatever. You're 19, 20, 21, 22. It was a time of great change politically, artistically, socially, and you're in your 20s. Fuck. The possibilities seem limitless. Andrew, at one point when we finished entertainment, said, this is really important work. And I think Rob just laughed because, for fuck's sake, because saying it was important was over the top. We pushed each other up and along, but we also slapped each other down. But it was a gang. We were having an awful lot of fun. We worked really hard, and it felt like day to day. Oh, my God, we made a record. Oh, good God, we're on the radio. <laughs> God, we've been asked to be on top of the pops. Um, oh, God, we're going to America. You're rolling with it. We were in charge of our business, but we weren't great businessmen. There was not a great battle plan. So when you made entertainment, that's their debut album, Gang of Four's debut, came out in 1979, you didn't have any sense of how resonant and groundbreaking it would become. No, we just wanted to make it our way and have it be somewhat uncompromising. The studio engineer hated it because it was so not what he wanted to do or was used to doing. We were creatively very different. The whole thing was very untreated. He was working in waters with which he was very f unfamiliar. He didn't go with the flow. We disliked him as much as he disliked us. Definitely not a meeting of the wills. Quite frankly, he should have been working for us as opposed to trying to guide us. It was so long ago. Recording our second album, Solid Gold, was a much more cohesive and enjoyable setting. We found our footing, and we were in a much nicer studio space. The producer, Jimmy Douglas, he brought the referee position to it all. There was less battling, a more cohesive, fun time. I was terribly nervous during 
doing entertainment, but not so for solid gold. Tell me about Andy as a guitarist. Everyone has always talked about him, how much he got from Dr. Feelgood's Wilco Johnson, developing his style from it and taking it beyond. I've been listening to a lot of our early demos of late, and yeah, he sounded like Wilco Johnson and Dr. Feelgood mixed with Free. If you're going to build a style based on somebody, you can go very far wrong than with Wilco. Although Dr. Feelgood were playing sort of standard stuff, it was just the attitude and ideas and the way they presented it. Andrew was an extraordinary guitar player. It's that simple. I mean, he took as much from Wilco's stage presence as he did his playing style, and the four of us developed our own performance style. It wasn't about guitar solos or drum solos, dull things like that. Actually, we took the opposite approach, based very much on dub reggae, which is everyone stopping so that somebody else will wail. <laughs> People would just drop out, creating space, which was far more interesting. In terms of the songwriting on the first album, it was a four-way split, and then later it mostly became John and Andy. By the third album, yeah, that was partly to do with, well, for a start, I had to get involved with management after a big change, and I think the publishing thing, Andy suddenly began to realize that it was financially, I mean, there was sharing of all income, even though by the third album, it was not exactly equal. The third album, Songs of the Free, they basically wrote in a studio in East London. Did it break down into Andy mostly music and John mostly words? By that point, yeah, but there was a lot of back and forth. As a songwriter, what did Andy bring to the party? Oh God, I don't know. I haven't worked with many other songwriters. To me, it's attitude about what he wanted, a real understanding of deconstruction of ideas and sound, but that was prevalent in the things we like to listen to in the way of building songs and rehearsing them. Did that sound gel with you all right away? I don't think there were big discussions. Well, there were big discussions about everything, the price of a Mars bar up to the sort of lyrics we might or might not avoid hearing on stage, whether it was It's Her Factory or Love Like Anthrax. Every night could have been a little bit different. It coalesced and gelled around something we all believed in and felt comfortable with. Without each other, none of us would have got to where we are today. Four quite different and desperate people who weaved in and out of each other's lives. Without sounding like I'm a fucking hippie, what we did when it was the original four of us together seems great. Aww. Which I'm very grateful about and which we all should be. It's still very there, which is not to say that once the four of us split up, what went on since... What went on since wasn't of value. I think it was good of Andrew to keep going. He didn't stand still. <laughs> he found some other people to work with and obviously enjoyed that way of working. On Facebook, Brennan posted, We made a lot of great noise and art together. We had a few drinks. We traveled the world and made friends. We made people dance and think and laugh and love. We laughed, we laughed together a lot. John Langford, one of those pesky Mekons <laughs> mentioned earlier, posted, When we first met in Leeds, the Gang of Four knew exactly what they wanted to do. And we Mekons bumbled along in their wake, all part of a strange and separable art school pinko pack. I have no idea what I'd be doing today if I hadn't crossed paths with those people at that time. And that's from Jim Sullivan from the Boston Globe. Great article. Um, just wanted to give you guys some background there in case you are interested in finding out more <laughs> about the Gang of Four.
and how important they are to music in general. And also, um, cause I do have, um, one or two interviews I'd like to play for you guys. One of them, uh, was with Renee from ESG and this was back, um, at the end of October, they did a Halloween show and they've been playing, I want to say at least once a year in the Bay area. And she pretty much straight up said, uh, Aisha, this might be the last tour we did. So I was like, okay, I got to fucking show up. And it was great. Um, they played here, um, in the mission. So not too far from here near 16th and mission. And, um, I've been to this place, um, a couple times and it was great to, you know, c- connect with my coworker who I hadn't seen in a few years, uh, ex coworker Alejandro. Hope he's doing well. And, uh, let's go ahead and listen in on the interview. Renee, are you still with me? Yes, I am. Awesome. Uh, it's so great to speak with you today. Um, I think people are getting excited about your upcoming show at the Public Works on Halloween, October 31st. Uh, tell us what you've been up to recently. Well, we just got off uh, being support act for Robin on tour. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that, that yeah, was, is really cool, and, you know, she's a great individual. <laughs> yeah, I've heard good things about her, and she's been to the Bay Area a couple of times recently. I know she's played a few sold-out shows here at the Fox Theater and then at Bill Graham, so um, that's somebody that you kind of want to partner with, right? <laughs> well, I, I've known her for quite a while. She's a fan of our music, so, you know, I, I mean, I really appreciate it. Her, you know, uh, being a fan of our music, saying, okay, well, you guys come on out and support me, you know. Plenty of people will say they're you know, fans of your music and they're in a position to help you out, and they don't. But she did, so, you know, I, I give her a major thumbs up. <laughs> well, I'm glad that it that it worked out then. And uh, are you going to be playing some other shows in California around the San Francisco show? No, that I mean that that'll be that'll be it as far as the San Francisco show, and, and you know then we're gonna do a private affair in L.A. So that's not open to the public. So yeah, gotcha. so, yeah. So people better make it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if people want to find out more about you online, is Facebook the best way to go, or Instagram? Yes, yes, the Facebook. Facebook, I mean, we have Instagram, but Facebook is, is really up to date. That's, you know, my, my son handles that, and I give him, you know, all the direct information I have, and it goes up. Nice. And it's, I love uh, following different bands on Facebook because it's so easy to see, like, what they're up to, um, you know, what shows they're playing, if they have any new material, things like that. Um, I know that you guys re- uh, released an album about two years ago. Have you been working on any new music, possibly? No, I mean, as far as ESG goes, what more can you take with, the, the you know, the last ESG thing I'm going to do? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
You never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you never. I mean, it's probably doubtful that I, I, you know, I do anything else, you know, uh, uh, you know, under ESD. I've been, you know, helping my son, who's, you know, releasing the album, uh, and he goes under the name Indian, and you know, his album is called The Experience. So, uh-huh. I mean, I, I helped him, you know, with that, and, and did a couple of songs on it with him. But you know, other than that, you know, like you know, I do uh, things with other artists, and you know, write, you know, produce, you know, things that affect but uh yeah I, I, i'm pretty happy with what i've accomplished in 41 years so and what more can you take was you know it's good yeah i mean you guys have a great uh variety of material to work through and do you feel like there's kind of a resurgence going on from uh bands from uh, the era that you guys were from the late 70s early 80s well, you know, I've seen that, and, and, but, you know, with, with, with ESC material, I, I've noticed, you know, a lot of it's being used in commercials and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and movies and things like that. So that does help get you, more, get your, you know, work. Uh, but as far as even with that, I, I, I keep saying, you know, I, I'm going to stop touring. You know, uh, you know, 2020 June will probably be me because what it is is, for me, it's health issues. Right. And flying is no longer good for me. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, uh, yeah, maybe two years ago I had a pulmonary embolism. Oh, and, wow. You know, yeah. And I was on oxygen for a year. So, yeah, that was not cool. So me out there singing, I, I'm really, you know, like enjoying and saying, hey, guys, this is it. You know, because I got to save my wind. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we care about your health, Renee. That really takes precedence these days. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but I'm I'm hoping that you're on the mend and you're doing a lot better now. Oh no, I'm excellent now. I mean, I'm able to fly and tour. But you know, the thing of it is, knowing what I know with my doctors, you know, yeah. they say flying is not good for me. So when I can do shows that you know uh, on the road, or if I do go overseas, it's like one flight over, you know, buses and trains, and then back home. So I gotta really avoid flying. Oh, I see. Yeah. That can do yeah, it. because it, it causes you, it causes when you fly, you know, it causes you to, to easily get clots in the lungs and the legs. Oh, you know, so yeah. and, and that's mm-hmm. you know that's what pulmonary embolism is, especially if you're a type of person where your blood clots a lot. I mean, forty-one years of flying, I think <laughs> that you know, <laughs> it's it's been a journey, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, not everyone flies for forty-one years. This is true. This is really true, especially the past few years. David Bowie, Lou Reed, um, you know, the the lead singer from Soundgarden. I mean, it's just left and right. It's like... Yeah, I'm not trying trying to be an obituary if I can help it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. I just went to visit my grandmother, and she's like, I already bought my plot. And I was like, what do you mean your plot? I don't think about that kind of stuff. I'm 33, but my grandmother, she's going to be 90, so she has to plan ahead, you know? <laughs> well, I, I guess if you want it done your way, you better, you better do it, you know? And, and you know, and, and yeah. I, I, you know, it, of course it's not something one wants to think about, but you set yeah. that aside, get it done, and then you go and live your life to the fullest for every day you have. Right, right. Well, hopefully we still got some years on us. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Positive but, thinking. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's what I'm saying. I know it's in my best interest to, you know, you know, hang it up. It may not be that I want to, but but I know, you know, hey, if I want to hang around and enjoy life, 
you know, stop that smiling, Renee. Yep, there you go. And tell us a little bit about how the band uh, came together originally. Whoa, wow, geez. <laughs> <laughs> that was, you know, uh, the early 70s in the project. My mom didn't want us hanging out. There was a lot of things wrong. Games, it was soft punks, and it was really rough. And she didn't want us hanging out. And uh, I would watch, it was like a John Kirsten, a rock concert, and slow, and, you know, midnight special, and all these things. And I would yep. see these bands, and i go, I can do that, Mom, I can do that. And then she says, okay. You can do that. And she went out and, and, you know, she got the instruments. And, uh, you know, uh, my sister, Valerie, who played, played drums, I told her, I said, you want to play the drums? She said, right, I got to play the drums. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. So, you know, yeah, it was that kind of thing. And then, you know, the other sisters wanted to squeeze in slowly the shoulders. So, and it was the thing to keep us out of trouble, you know, uh, uh, that, that you would concentrate and do something positive. Right. Right. And music has always kind of been an outlet for that, right? Like a lot of people are like, well, I was going to be an athlete or a drug dealer or a musician. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in this in this respect, I, I guess, you know, music, especially when I make music, it's a happy place, you know, it's a place. Yeah. You know, especially where you can write and express your feelings, you know, what's going on in the street, things you can change, and, you know, what you feel you can't change, what you want to speak about. So I found that music not only is an outlet to, to uh, keep us from doing negative things, but to be able to express the negative things that were going on in the neighborhood. And then, you know, like, you know, the earlier stuff was really about, you know, uh, uh, you know, relationships, you know, good, mm-hmm. moody, moody, which is, you know, a happy mm-hmm. relationship, and dancing, dance, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. as, as, we, as, as we matured, then I started to write about, you know, you know, different things. Because life gets more complicated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's awesome. for sure. And there's a Tony Wilson connection with Factory Records, and that happened after he saw you guys perform in New York? Yeah, we were supporting a certain ratio. And, mm-hmm. you know, after I did the sound check, you know, I walked over and he said to me, hey, I like what you were doing. How would you like to make a record? And I was like, yeah, sure. And this was on Wednesday, and we were in the studio on Saturday, because I didn't take him serious. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, it happened, and you know, he threw us in the studio with Martin Hannett, who, you know, just big producer that I didn't know anything about. So it was really cool because people, you know, they seen the movie and they said, well, he was crazy. What was he like? I said, he wasn't crazy with us. He was a cool guy. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, it's interesting. I watched 24-hour party people, I think, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years ago. And then you think, wow, it's like Joy Division, a certain ratio, ESD, um, you know, Happy Mondays. It was like you guys were all kind of, you were your own different entity, but you were somehow like related or intertwined or part of the story. And it's just amazing to me because I'm like, I wonder if something like that could happen now with <laughs> technology, whereas you guys didn't, there was no way for you guys to really connect unless you happened to be in the same vicinity, right? Exactly, exactly. That's what I, you know, that's what I tell a lot of young people now. I said, yeah. you guys are so lucky. I said, you have the internet. You don't have to deal with half the crap, you know, artists. <laughs> in my day had before. I mean, the only way, you know, dealing with record companies who are trying to screw you over in so many yeah. words, 
Now you can do everything yourself. You can put it online. You can sell it yourself. You do not have to bother, you know, mm-hmm. you know, with the big guys that are going to screw you over. Yeah. And that's, you know, in a way it's still kind of happening, right, with um, the, the money that artists get from Spotify. It's like pennies to the dollar. But then there's other sites where you get, at least you get something, but you don't get a lot in terms of, you know, what bands could get in terms of a record deal. But I've heard success stories. I've heard good things, like CD Baby is supposed to be really good. Um, oh, I use CD Baby. Oh, you do? Good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a, a closure and what more can you take? And my yep. last two albums are on there, yes. And nice. so CD Baby has been wonderful. Uh, uh, you know, uh, me uh, pressing the, the records and, and, you know, vinyl CD and, and some of myself at, at uh, when we perform live. So I do well doing it that way compared to having to deal with the record company. Mm. Very interesting. So at least there's, like you're saying, there's more options now. It's just yes. about yes. finding the one that works for you, for your way of working. Yeah, well, you know, again, at the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, the big record companies will, will royally screw you over, and, and you don't think so. I mean, look at what just recently happened to Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then she put she took all that stuff and put it out on her own label now. You know, where mm-hmm. she like she's saying she's making on this album a hundred percent of her own profit, and I understand where she's coming from. Yep. It's um, it's like a metaphor for living. It's better just to do it yourself. <laughs> yes, and, and you have control of your own music, your own rights to sell it, and, and you know, do what you wish with it. Yep, that sounds like a good plan. Were there any musicians that you guys looked up to before when you were forming the group? Oh, of course. I mean, you know, I always tell people James Brown. Okay, because because of James Brown, James Brown. When he would take a song to the bridge, you know, break it down. I mean, that's the basis of writing ESD songs, to have a yeah. funky, you know, breakdown so you can dance and be happy and party. You know, when you come to an ESD show, you're going to have a danceable party experience. That I guarantee you. <laughs> well, I'm really looking forward to the show on Halloween. It's definitely uh, something that people should be attending. I think some of the tickets are already sold out, like the first round of tickets are already sold that's good. And, and, you know, again, well, I mean, no, no, I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to, to, to coming there. I mean, this this will probably be our last show of the year because we actually spent this year heavily touring. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I roster then, like I said, uh, uh, probably do something up to June. You know, I may get over to Europe again. I believe my home's going to be awesome. It's just a matter of me saying, okay, Renee, um, you know, how much do you yeah. want to do and what's, what's, you know, uh, too much. Right, right. You got to look inward, pay attention to what your body's telling you. Exactly. And it takes, that's a skill. That's something I've had to learn as well. Because in my 20s, I was like, go, 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 go. Don't look back. Don't hold back. <laughs> <laughs> and then you run into some hurdles and some walls along the way. You know, it's not just a, a free-for-all. There's going to be some stuff that sticks and other stuff that doesn't stick. So I totally... I totally get um, what that must be like. And um, what, uh, what what advice would you give to uh, women uh, musicians who are just starting out now? Well, the first thing I'll tell you is, is to you got to educate yourself into this business. 
understand that the music business is a business. The second part is very important, business. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you can be artistic, and we all love to be artistic and express ourselves, but at the end of the day, if you want to profit from this and for it to be yours, you know, mm-hmm. hold on to your masters, hold on to your publishing. And then, like I said, if you can do it yourself, do it yourself. Yes, I agree with that no matter what. <laughs> music, <laughs> music, personal health, um, that's just something I've learned too, you know. If you if you need certain things in life, you're going to wait around for everyone else or you're just going to get it done yourself. So why it's, not? Exactly. <laughs> Education is a key here. You really have to educate and study. Yep. And, 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 you know, there's so much stuff out there for us as women, you know, uh, before uh, we didn't have these opportunities. And, yep. and you know, uh, uh, the internet is a big, you know, uh, it, it's an information uh, facility. Yep. There's there's almost too much information. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, well, we're using it in the positive sense. You know, if you yeah. want to go out, you can look up choices. Uh, it's just like, like finding TV babies. You, you go in there and you find out about TV babies. There's other places, but I think TV babies is the best. But even with TV babies, you know, yeah. if you find out your life for them, you can be in trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do that. I mean, it's good for printing, you know, and getting the material out there, but still read everything. Yeah, it's um, it's like the wild, wild west on the internet sometimes, especially <laughs> on, on social media. You think, oh wow, they've got it figured out. What it's been fifteen years since uh, Mark created Facebook, and it's like, no, still figuring it out, still changing, still like. Uh, you know? <laughs> well, well, like in my case, I mean, I don't use it. I don't use it like for a personal page. No, I have the band page, and that's just yep. to let people know where we're playing. You know, what's available. Uh, you yep. know, as far as um, music, uh, uh, merchandise. But, but uh, you know, I, I don't use it for personal social things because it, okay. it's too complicated. Then. Yeah, it, it is, and there's just unfortunately there's people, you know, in my age group and younger that don't really live in the real world they just live through the internet and it's sad you know it's like it's a way to just it's not like you're really putting anything out there you're not you're just taking it all in you're just taking whatever is given to you does that make sense so it's, yes yes you know yeah. well you got to get out there and live life. Yes. you know you I, I, again you know I, I tell this to, to friends and family like you know because i see them you know stuck on the phones and stuff and i'm like Whoa, wait a minute. How about going out and interacting with real people? Exactly. <laughs> it's it's um it's something that I've been thinking about. I'm like, oh, like when it first came out I'm just going along with it, but now that it's been a few years and you see like what the the side effects are of it, you're like, Nah, I don't really mm-hmm. need it that bad. I wanna take some classes, I wanna travel, I wanna do this and that, you know. So it just um, yeah, and, and enjoy yeah. and enjoy yourself because you know sometimes people are looking there and you know when they when they get into the social media uh, you know what what they're looking for likes and people opinions. How about what you feel and what you you know be yourself? Yeah. You know, think you. to yourself. Exactly. What is your opinion? Because that's what I want to know. I want to know what people what they're in what they're 
you know, consciousness is telling them. I don't want to hear them repeat what somebody else is saying because then it's not real. It's not their genuine experience. But anyways, we're getting real philosophical here. <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay. It's, it's, it's really hard because, yeah. you know, when I look at the generation I come from, we didn't have yeah. none of this, you yeah. know. So we were out there living life, hitting the pavement when we wanted something done and, you know, mm-hmm. it, it really having to work for it. You know, and, and and now it's like, okay, you, you got that all this stuff available to you, even in the positive retrospect, but still get out there and live your life. Yes. We all got to do it. And um, yes. who, <laughs> and who are some of your favorite uh, musicians right now that you're listening to? Oh, oh okay. Let me see. Uh, I'm Robin, of course. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, uh, 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 you know, my thing, I still listen to a lot of old school. And, 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 and you know, uh, uh, it, it's like, uh, you know, I'm looking for, for that, that original, uh, uh, you know, thing to, to grab me. I mean, it's funny. It's like, uh, I like uh, this childhood Gambino, okay, and some of his, you know, crazy things he does, you know, mm-hmm. when, he, when he performs as an artist. But it's like I'm looking for that fresh, you know, thing to grab me. And, and you know, when I hear these tracks and they're, they're sampling music from my time, that's, you know, I have issues with sample music. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'll leave that alone. I'm, Is that the end of the interview? It says there's three minutes left. But anyways, that was my lovely interview with Renee from ESG, if you're just tuning in. It's another edition of Sounds from the Street. Um, I did take a couple weeks off, you guys, but um, had a lot to talk about today. Um, It's freezing in the studio, so don't mind me as I put on my jacket as I'm talking to you guys. But uh, they played a fantastic show uh, back on Halloween last year, and Renee was nice enough to do an interview with me and listening to it. I'm like, wow, it was a pleasure pleasure to speak with um, another like-minded individual. And I remember because it was at Public Works, and I think I've only been there... I want to say twice. The first time I went was Labor Day weekend last year, um, and that's when uh, the lovely Alice Bag was performing. Uh, she's one of my favorites for sure. And then a couple weeks, you know, almost two months later, I got to see ESG. So uh, it was definitely a treat. Um, if you get a chance to go to a show there, definitely go check it out. Um, and I just remember being like a go-go dancer or trying to be like one because it was packed on Halloween. So many people, but it was kind of positive, you know, vibes. Um, sometimes when there's a lot of people, it's not a positive environment, but, um, I found some space and I danced my ass off to ESG. So if you do get a chance to see them or if you've seen them in the past, uh, good for you. (laughs) For me, I felt like it was, it was a, a long time coming. And I guess I found out about them because of the, you know, the factory records connection, If it wasn't for that, you know, I wouldn't have been educated enough to know about them. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and play, you know, one or two 
ESG songs for fun and see if I can find um, an interview that I did with Andy recently. So stay tuned for more Mutiny Radio.
I just want you to imagine while you are listening to that song, just the the drum beat, you know, like hearing that live was so invigorating. And that was probably one of the better Halloweens that I've had over the years. Don't get me wrong, I've had a few of them, but that one was by far the most enjoyable. Like that's how I want to spend Halloween. Probably because I haven't been to a lot of shows in 2020 yet, but um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how the rest of the year goes. So if you're just tuning in, um, I played my interview with Renee from ESG, and I apologize because I have stupid AirPods in my pocket, um, which is why there was no sound for a few seconds. So apologies for that. Um, Doesn't really happen, but... You know, it's it's so convenient when you're working out to have the wireless earphones compared to the, the regular ones. And I know it sounds kind of like, oh, you're so particular about your earphones. But I'm telling you, I took a leap of faith and I had the regular headphones for, for years. I had, you know, for eight, nine years, I've had the iPhone and I just decided, you know what, I work out. And I'm always walking and it's just nice to have the freedom, you know, and it's definitely worth the money in case you're wondering, but you have to be careful if you put the headphones in your pocket. (laughs) And if you're walking down a windy corridor, there's a chance that uh, you're going to have bad reception. So it's always good to have uh, two pairs of headphones there. Um, so I thought I was able to find the interview I did last year with Andy. So I thought I would close out with that. Um, so I want to thank you guys for tuning in, uh, enjoying, uh, the interview I did with Renee from ESG for the Halloween show last year. And then, um, it was great to, let you guys remember Gang of Four, or if you haven't heard of them, trying to educate you on um, what uh, Gang of Four was all about. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll stay tuned for the interview that I did with Andy approximately one year ago. Rest in peace, Andy Gill. Mr. Andy Gill, are you still with me? Yeah, I am very much so. Perfect. And you guys are playing in SoCal tonight, is that right? Uh, playing where? Are you are you currently playing a show uh, this week or tonight? I saw something on your website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're playing tonight yeah. at the the Cas, the, uh, the Cas Bar. Nice. Uh, uh, yeah, I've forgotten where I am actually. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm pretty of... sure it's California. I'm in. Yes. Yes, you are. You are in California. Uh, San, Di- San Diego? San Diego, yes. maybe? Yes. Yeah. I think that's right. And you're going to be... Excellent. In... I'm in the right place. Woohoo! And you're going to be up here in the Bay Area playing at the yes. chapel here in San Francisco on Saturday right. the 9th. And it's already sold out. So you know what that yeah. means. It's going to be a fantastic yeah, show. Yeah, it's, it will be, yeah. And um, what's your experience been like uh, recently playing in the Bay Area these past few years? Playing where? Uh, playing in San Francisco or the Bay Area in general. Well, it's, your, uh, mm-hmm. playing, yeah, it's, it's, always, uh, it's always a great experience. You know, we've, 
uh, I think the first time Gang of War came to America, mm-hmm. uh, I remember the, the biggest shows we did were, I think we were playing with the Buzzcocks. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, many years ago. And, and we, we played at the Geary Temple. Um, That's right. And it was, mm-hmm. uh, it was a massive, it was such a hot, hot night. Uh, and we just, uh, you know, I just remember just like being drenched in sweat, you know. It was so uh, nice. It was cool. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and you know, and whenever we come back, uh, mm-hmm. it's been uh, fantastic, you know. So we we love San Francisco and, and, the, and the area. Definitely. And how do you compare? I mean, it's kind of funny that you guys are touring now because. There's so much political upheaval, which you're also experiencing yeah. in the UK. And so yeah. there's um, there's a lot more material to write about now compared to a few years ago. Yeah. Or how would you say that it's affected uh, the group? Well, I, I mean, I think um, it's 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 a complicated one because <clears throat> yeah, I, mean, I think we are we are in a in a time where it's kind of a lot of upheaval and and chaos and mm. in 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 uh, both both america and and, and the uk uh, and there's a kind of rise of populist nationalism throughout europe as well mm-hmm. um and Danforth has always tried to avoid writing about you know the topic du jour we've we've tried to you know, keep a little bit away from current affairs because it's more, you know, I mean, it's a more, what what we've done is more, it was more descriptive, observational thing of of, of our lives and, and how they're put together. But I think there are sometimes situations, I mean, like on this new record, there's a, a track called uh, Ivanka, My Name's On It. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's just like it's there's there's the mood music now the the uh, some of the ideas that are going around mm-hmm. are kind of require some kind of observation and some sort of description and mm-hmm. I think I think in this particular instance. When Ivanka was like, stuck, you know, given an office in the White House, and and she was because she's a she's a, a pretty woman, and they kind of wheel her out mm. to be the to be the, the soft face of Trumpism, mm-hmm. um, and to almost be the explainer. Uh, <laughs> so when she came out and did the famous did the famous speech about you know, someone said that she was complicit. And she mm-hmm. said, "I don't know what it means to be complicit." Uh, <clears throat> and it almost felt to me at that point, it's like, "Well, she's writing the song for me. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not there's not much I need to add to this. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you just you like these are the words, uh, and I, you know, and I, obviously I do add to it and put my uh, kind of poetic." Uh, uh, observations on it uh, here and there, mm-hmm. but essentially it's kind of coming straight from the source. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was—it's just such a—it's such a sort of 
fascinating thing to have her kind of be try and explain it and try and be uh, a kind of soft focused version of it mm-hmm. you know and then of course she, she and then at the end of it she says you know i promise i'll do my best for you you know the american people uh, <clears throat> and it was a, you know it's kind of too good to pass up you know so i kind of broke the rule of uh not commenting directly on on current affairs there yeah. but, uh, uh but it was it's kind of too poetic to leave it alone. <laughs> yeah, I remember when that came out not that long ago, and I was like, yes, this is exactly what I'm yeah. thinking. And it was kind of like your interpretation of maybe not just me, but a lot of people who are, mm-hmm. you know, looking for an outlet, looking for a musical outlet, because yeah. there's so many ways for people to get the word out there. But I don't yeah. feel like a lot of musicians, do you feel like people are kind of, Taking Trump head on, or do you feel like people are hiding from it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think, I think majority of musicians um, think it's a bit of a turn off, you know, mm. that, that that you know that their their fans are not going to be interested in that, you right. know, um, they want a bit more of a, you know, they don't want to be, you know, have that in their faces. They want more escapism. Uh-huh. Um, so they don't. So they don't have to think about those things, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think that's, uh, that's the way the majority of people think about it, um, mm-hmm. and that's that's you know totally understandable. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I just think um, the way my head works, you know, it's like um, uh, I guess it's uh, food and drink to me, but uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I, you know, it's that some people. Mm-hmm. Will some people are, are drawn to Gang of War because <clears throat> Gang of War does, I think, in a way, uh, provide an authentic uh, commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people will be like, "Oh, that's not for me," and that's fair enough. Right. You know, I'm not trying to make music that's for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't need that. <laughs> No, no. There's plenty of other people who are doing music for everyone, and they do it very right. well. Right, right. Good for them. But, yeah, we're really yeah. excited to have you. And you also have a new album that's already out, if I'm understanding correctly. No, it's after- not already out. I mean, oh, it's not. It's, okay. there's, it's, it's been a bit of an issue because oh, okay. uh, mm-hmm. we were starting with Pledge Music. Yeah. Uh, and Pledge Music is going through a, enormous problems at this minute. and oh, is uh uh, I know it's really bad timing and bad luck, and yeah. uh, <clears throat> it's not all their fault. There's, uh, nobody has yet got to the bottom of what's going on, but there's mm. been some big financial problem. So the app has mm. been delayed, uh, and we're sorting out what we're going to do. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, as we speak, I mean, I'm emailing back and forth with the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to figure out, you know. What's the new date and how are we going to get it out? Uh, right. It's all very last minute stuff and it's kind of anxiety producing stuff, but uh, oh, yeah. we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. You know, watch yeah. this space, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. No, nope, you guys are good for it and you have a great back catalog. So people yeah. can definitely have access to that. I know I do. So that's going to be my, my yeah, point. Yeah. The, <laughs> uh, the first track, first track from, um, 
uh, first track from the album is is out at the out, out at the moment. It's mm-hmm. called Paper Thin, and it's it's like streaming on all all platforms and you know for download and streaming. So that's already out. Um, um, and the rest of the record, um, I'm sure, will be out in the not too distant future. Absolutely. And how would you say the music has developed over the, since the last time we saw you about three, four years ago? How would you, what would you say the new direction is for the band? The direction for the band. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, I think. I think since the last record, I think. You know, every every gig we do, every song we work on, Jola gets more and more. Uh, uh, I think he kind of fits in better and better as, you know, as it's been this sort of process where we've kind of uh, figured everything out as we've gone along, mm-hmm. uh, and I think I think this new record, uh, Happy Now, uh, I think it's. Uh, a very confident and full record with fantastic performances from from Jayla. Um, so it, it's uh, no surprise. It's it's very funky, <laughs> uh, you know, very rhythmic. Um, and I think one of the one of the big differences is with with with, with the last few records. I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, to produce it myself, and I, you know, and I sort of the, the thought process being, well, you know, I've produced everybody, uh, all these other bands, I know how to produce, so I should, mm. I, I should produce it, yeah. you know, obviously. Uh, and in fact, no, that's not the right. Uh, I, I feel that was not the right way to go because <clears throat> it's always good to have other uh, other creative heads in the room, mm-hmm. so. So I, I, you know, that was the first decision when I started making Happy Now, was that I would be working with other other producers. So, uh, for example, there's been three different producers, co-producers with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was Ben Hillier, um, who oh, yeah. uh, has done um, Blur, for example. That's right. Um, then Ross Orton, who produced uh, Arctic Monkeys and MIA. Nice. Um, and and then uh, Mark Taylor and, mm-hmm. so and so I mean th- those people, you know, uh, I found that things things move faster, mm-hmm. um, and you know if you get stuck on something and you're on your own, it's really easy to uh, uh, feel a bit down and then go and watch TV, uh, you know, to waste time. But you can't do that for somebody else. Though. You know, you have, to, you have to press on. And they've usually got a solution for it. You know, something that maybe stumps one person, somebody else has got an answer, you know, and you just and the, the ball keeps rolling and, and you get results a lot faster and you get a whole load of momentum going. And the whole creative process, I think, is a lot, uh, a lot better. A lot better. Um, and it's something that I've kind of learned quite late you know the, this thing about momentum and getting getting results quickly and not hanging about is uh really a useful thing absolutely got to keep those juices flowing <laughs> you do you do <laughs> and um what kind of music are you listening to outside of gang of four what what do you 